Thank you for listening to another Sunday morning message from City Church in downtown Iowa City. If you guys didn't know, we are in this time of year, actually, where Christians around the world begin to observe the Lenten season. How many of you guys grew up observing Lent or kind of have an idea of what that is? Anybody? A couple of you? So did some of you go get, like, ashes on your foreheads when you were little? Okay. Some of you did. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. You might have had coworkers at a certain time of year who had ashes on their forehead, and maybe you were like, I don't know what that's about. But um, anyway, um, that happened on Ash Wednesday, which is coming up this Wednesday. If Lent is totally unfamiliar to you guys, though, um, let me just describe it. Um, Sorry, I'm adjusting this to you. Um, Let me just describe it as the season on the church calendar uh, that leads up to Easter. And during this season of Lent, believers are encouraged to turn more from, like, worldly comforts and worldly pleasures in order to, like, make more space for the work of God in their lives. And they do this as a way to, like, prepare their hearts for and participate in the Easter celebration that comes. And traditionally during Lent, in order to turn more from this world pleasures and comforts, Christians have fasted from food pretty traditionally um, or chosen to like creatively deny themselves in some way. But these days in 2020, if you know somebody who gives up something for Lent, you might actually hear of people just giving up sugar or giving up alcohol or giving up Netflix or um, giving up, you know, listening to podcasts and making that space for prayer time instead. But for the people I do know who practice Lent, Um, What they abstain from or what they deny themselves during that time, it's not usually arbitrary or random for them. For them, it usually represents something that is a comfort that they turn to or a pleasure that they turn to. Because the idea is if they can create some empty space in their lives where that thing typically fills, um, if they allow a little death of that comfort for a time, um, a little humbling of oneself, where they they might possibly in that place leave some more room for God to work out some things within them, to work some transformation in their lives. The idea being that they might experience and participate in the resurrection life of Christ um, as God is transforming them and changing them. So most people, uh, contrary to like probably, you know, textbooks about the Middle Ages, most people these days do not Uh, deny themselves during Lent because they are gluttons for punishment, or they think it's more holy to just self-inflict agony. Um, They do it because they have this belief that there is real joy to be found, actually, in this process of making room for God, in this process of denying ourselves something so that we can open ourselves up to something else. Ruth Haley Barton says that Lent is, quote, not meant to make us morbid. Okay, but it's help. It's it's uh, meant to help us limit our grandiosity, um, to help us stay in touch with the real human condition we all share. Lent is a season of humbling before the Lord in whatever way we can. And you know, scriptures say those who humble themselves before the Lord, He will lift them up. So it's just not us lifting ourselves up during Lent. It's allowing God to lift us up. And this season of being intentionally humble before God is typically considered 40 days long, but people don't count the Sundays, so they're kind of like tricking you. It's actually longer than 40 days, but it's supposed to be symbolic of Jesus's 40 days in the wilderness 
where Jesus was prepared for ministry in this empty, desolate place, deprived of creature comforts, deprived of his companions, but where he experienced the reality of God breaking in on his life and the reality of God being enough for him, of God being sufficient for him, even in the wilderness, even in a desolate place. And we hope that in our self-imposed desolations during Lent, if you practice Lent, that we find out in the same way Jesus did how sufficient God is for us. Now, I didn't grow up practicing Lent, and so when I started hearing about it and hearing what people did during Lent when I was an adult, I was like, why would I do that? Like, that seems like a horrible idea. And honestly, how I thought about it was this, like, life seems kind of hard enough, and I feel like I already have some wildernesses in my life, so why would I want to go make another one, you know, like when I have just come out of a wilderness? And why do I want a church calendar which is unchanging and has nothing to do with my dynamic changing relationship with God to tell me when I'm supposed to make room for God to do this interior work? I actually think those questions are a little valid, right? Um, Especially if you happen to be someone who's very in touch with the purposes of the wilderness in your own life. Um, Maybe you are the kind of person who... Um, are in touch with the value of self-denial, right? And you practice this on a regular basis. Maybe you go through seasons where where God is showing you, like, you know what? There's this broken pattern that you have in relating to someone. Or, you know what? Like, this is substance abuse. Like, you actually need to, to change something. Or you're dependent on social media. Maybe you're one of those people who can discern that from God and just be like, okay, I'm going to make some changes. I'm going to deny myself so that God can shape me more into the kind of person he wants to shape me into. And if you're that kind of person who can see those things and like organically humble yourself before God, deny yourself some things um, so that he can transform you, more power to you. I think that's wonderful. I think that's how it should be all the time. But all that said, I think a lot of us actually need a nudge to enter the wilderness a lot of the time. I think we don't even know what needs to be changed in us, uh, let alone what we need to do in order to change it. So I think Lent is really that holy nudge for the church, kind of like a corporate nudge that says to us, you know, hey, let's realign ourselves. Let's reconnect. Um, Let's send ourselves into a desolate place so that we can allow the life of Christ to do its work in us. But I know that most of you sitting here are like, uh, I don't love the idea of being desolate. And honestly, when I'm in a season of life that feels desolate, I rail against it. I mean, I temper tantrum my way with God through desolate seasons. I don't like them. Sam, I am. That's what's coming to mind right now. You guys know that book? Um, I did a water fast for three days in January, and it was purely for physical reasons. But I was uh, probably not felt more emotionally or spiritually desolate during that time um, in a very long time, just from water fasting, because I think like what happens to our physical bodies is very much connected to our souls and our spirits. And I found myself praying a lot and like doing a lot of bargaining with myself about maybe quitting early because the hardship just felt so acute, but it was like hardship body, soul, and spirit, right? Um, And yet, embracing desolate places 
is a biblical idea modeled by Jesus. And in the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 1, Jesus actually goes to desolate places three different times. But the really interesting thing about Jesus going to desolate places is that the mechanism for him getting there or the cause of him getting there is different every time. Now, he always meets God God there, but, but he gets to the wilderness for different reasons. And I think our experience in entering desolate places is similar to Jesus's. Like, we get to the wilderness for different reasons in our lives. And I think if we take a peek at them, we might be convinced that there is some value to this Lenten season and even value to the seasons where you feel like you're in a wilderness, but it's not Lent and the church calendar isn't telling you it's time for that, you know? Um, So I want to pop around in chapter one of Mark with you and just ask you to notice when Jesus goes into desolate places, what happens before, what happens after, what drives him there. I'm going to read some of the stuff in between uh, the times of desolation because I want you to have a sense of his rhythm for going in and out of these desolate seasons and, and, and times. And some of them are just, you know, for a few hours. But I'm going to start in verse 12. And verse 12 picks up right after Jesus has been baptized. He has come up out of the water. He's had this total, like, God moment, you know, where, like, the heavens open and the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven, God the Father, is saying, this is my son. He is the bomb. I love him. It's like this commissioning moment for Jesus. And then we read in verse 12, the spirit, the one that had descended on him, immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. So he has this amazing encounter with God's presence and God's affirmation about his love for him. And then the Holy Spirit says, go, 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 go to the wilderness. And the wilderness, that word that we translate wilderness is the Greek word eremos. And it's the same word used to describe any other desolate place that Jesus goes. I don't know why the translators called it the wilderness here. But eremos just means remote, lonely, uninhabited, solitary, forsaken. Holy Spirit says, go, 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 be desolate. So when I think of desolate environments, here's what comes to mind. Me driving on I-35 headed toward Minnesota. When you get into northern Iowa, Kevin, I know you know this. Um, There's like nothing around, and I'm holding my breath in between exits, figuratively speaking, hoping that, like, there's going to be a bathroom when I need one. And I think, like, gosh, like, if something happens to me, am I going to make it? Is anyone going to know? Because there's hardly anyone around here. And um, I think maybe these are some of the feelings Jesus felt in a desolate place, you know? I bet he was as comforted by the wild animals as I would be by a raptor circling overhead if I had a car accident. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, this is not comforting. But God wanted Jesus in this place. He wanted him desolate in this place where he was going to have to face and resist some temptation. And we can assume that resisting temptation would make Jesus stronger and more ready for ministry. But there's no getting around the fact that this was God's idea, even though Satan shows up. Um, God is there also in the form of his angels to minister to Jesus encourage Jesus. We don't know exactly what they're doing, but I think the presence of an angel would be extremely comforting to me 
if I was alone in the desert. Um, and just a reminder, God was with me. Um, so that, that is desolate place number one, okay? Um, where Jesus is out, he's been driven by the Spirit to go, and yet he finds God is helping him even in this wilderness. And then Jesus comes out of the wilderness, okay? And immediately he starts telling people the kingdom of God is at hand. He finds some disciples and he gathers a following. And then the reports of what Jesus does is impressive. You know, he's healing people. He's teaching people in the synagogue. He heals a man of some demonic affliction. And suddenly he's famous. And news about Jesus is spreading like wildfire. And at the end of a very long day, he goes home with one of his disciples and finds out, oh, my disciple's mother-in-law is sick in bed. Let me touch her and restore her. So Jesus does. She's healed. She gets up. Now she's able to make dinner for them. So the Bible says, like, she's waiting on them. So she's, like, probably, you know, like the, the master baker in the house or whatever it is. So she gets up. They're finally eating. And all of a sudden, around sundown, they're aware that there's this crowd gathered outside the door. And it's the whole city, is what the Bible says. It's the whole city. And it's the healthy people bringing all the sick people and all the mentally ill people and all the demonically afflicted people. And they're all outside the door. And so Jesus then has another wave of ministry that day, starting at sundown. And so he's healing them. Probably it was a pretty late night. Probably he didn't get a whole lot of sleep. And then we read in Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 35 through 39. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that's why I came out. And he went through all, all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So there's desolate place number two. But this time, we're not told the Holy Spirit drove Jesus there. No, it actually seems like it was Jesus's idea. Like he thinks maybe he needs the wilderness again, right? Maybe he needs a desolate place because he remembers what happened to him in a desolate place before. He knows something about how he was strengthened there by God, how God met him and how he prepared him for ministry that was ahead. So we can imagine, you know, that day that Jesus had, all that ministry he did the day before, that had to have been exhausting. He had to have been, had to have been so drained and, um, and not having much sleep. And yet somehow he decided he needed to be out in a desolate place alone with God more than he needed extra sleep, which is hard for me to wrap my mind around. Um, I don't know about you guys, but you know, if you've had an intense week, maybe you're carting kids around uh, to a bazillion activities, or you have a full-time job plus extracurricular activities. Um, I know for me, like there are some Sundays, let's say I get up real early in the morning. I don't, I don't always get up as early every, every Sunday, but you know, I might come and set up and tear down alongside all of you guys. We'll practice with the worship team and I'll lead worship and I'll preach. And maybe Sunday there's like a kids event right after church or there's something I do. And there are some days where I get home and I'm just like 
I've never felt exhaustion like this kind of exhaustion before. And I know our theater friends understand what I'm talking about because um, you guys do this routinely. Um, but my first inclination when I am that drained is not desolation. It is not, hmm, maybe I should go be desolate and alone and uh, just, you know, deprived of creature comforts. I don't usually think that. Desolation feels counterintuitive. Um, so there, there were some, some Sundays where I feel like that, and I, I'm still figuring out the best way to recharge, but I might just start watching Netflix mindlessly, and I might do that for a couple hours and then find out at the end of the couple hours I actually don't feel any better than I did before. Like, I actually feel just as bad. And that actually didn't seem like it was what I needed right then to recharge for my life. And so I think here Jesus demonstrates he has the wisdom to know that what he truly needs to recharge is really to go be alone and be with God and not go on a Netflix binge, not go to the bars and hang out with his friends. Not that Jesus would have found anything wrong with that. You know, like he could have done that. Um, so desolate place number one, Holy Spirit says, go, go, go. And Jesus is just being obedient. Number two, Jesus goes of his own volition because he knows what's good for him. And then we get to desolate place number three. Before desolate place number three, Jesus has done what he said earlier. He went out and about to some other towns in Galilee. He heals more people. He preaches some more, casts out demons. And then he has this specific encounter with a socially very well-connected leper, it seems. Um, so he, he heals the leper, and Jesus seems to be worried that the, the leper is going to spread the news of his healing, and Jesus doesn't want that right now. So we read in verse 44 and 45, Jesus says to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for proof for them. Um, basically, just go do what the scriptures say about um, what you should do when you get healed as a leper. Go offer a sacrifice. Show yourself to the priest. You kind of function like a doctor, you know, who could say, yep, you're good now. You're, you're clean. You won't infect anyone. Um, go have them confirm that you're well. And then in verse 45, we read, but he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. So I assume that the leper was just like way too pumped to keep this news to himself, so he tells everybody. He doesn't discriminate. The news spreads, and it seems like exactly what Jesus was trying to avoid happens anyway. He was trying to avoid mass chaos, right? He was trying to avoid a situation where it was going to be difficult for him to do his ministry, now it was hard for him to go in a town and go into someone's home just to eat a meal with them or visit with them. Um, hard for him to teach in a synagogue anymore. Like he just couldn't do that because he was being mobbed. And so in this case, it's not the Holy Spirit who says, go, go, go. It's not Jesus who's like, this will be good for me right now. It's actually his circumstances that have driven him to desolation. And because God respects the free will of the leper to tell whoever he wanted to tell, Jesus does not have control then over these circumstances that drive him out to the wilderness. Um, I have a friend who's a pastor, really awesome, awesome woman. And during the course of one particular role that she had as a pastor, um, some things came to light about another person on staff. 
um, and some wrongdoing that they had that they had been part of. And um, even though my friend was innocent in all of this, the implications of all this were that she was not going to be able to continue on staff. There were a lot of reasons why that was. Um, and these were circumstances for her caused by someone else, completely outside her control. But it meant that she had to kind of sit back and watch things at this church fall apart, kind of just watch the ship sink, really. And it was devastating for her. I mean, she was stripped of um, what felt like her identity in this season. Um, it, it impacted her family. It impacted her livelihood and her income and her friend group. And it really watched her walk through this season of truly feeling like she was in a place of spiritual desolation. And it was caused by circumstances outside her control. She was outside in the wilderness with God just saying, I'm, I'm grieving. I'm frustrated. I can't do the things I feel like you called me to do. I, I don't understand. And she still, in that wilderness, had to figure out how to make money and like how to help her family that was impacted and her kids. And I kind of wonder if Jesus felt a little bit of that stress out in the wilderness. You know, knowing he had a purpose and he, he had a strategy for fulfilling his calling, but that strategy was like totally frustrated now because that one, you know, darn leper just wrecked the plan. He was back in the wilderness. And, you know, even though he was in desolation, I suspect Jesus was still comforted knowing, okay, God still shows up in the wilderness. God still knows where to find me in desolate places. And despite being hindered to go where he wanted to go, there was still fruitfulness in his ministry out there because all these people decided to come out to Jesus instead, right? And so I'm confident God continued to work miracles through Jesus and continue to heal people and deliver people and bring wholeness to people. I'm confident that God was like, well, this is plan B. You couldn't go into town, but I'll bring the town to you. How about that? We'll just do it that way. So I, these are three times, you know, spent in desolate places, three different ways Jesus got there. And I think the ways Jesus gets to the wilderness are the same ways that we get to the wilderness in our lives. Sometimes we are driven by the Holy Spirit. We just know we're going out of obedience. Maybe we, we don't think it's going to be fun and we don't really know what to expect, but we know God is telling us he needs to do some work in us. And, and maybe our response to that is, well, I'm going to fast from social media because it monopolizes a lot of my life right now. Or I'm not going to go out with my friends to the bars for the next month if that's like your Friday night or Saturday night routine. Or I am going to spend more time in prayer. Whatever it is, we can respond in obedience to that when we feel like the Holy Spirit's prompting us. But then sometimes we, get to, we go to desolate places because we already know, like, we need this. And we think it'll be a good thing for us to go get recharged. Maybe we have signs in our life where we're drained and we're running on fumes, or we know we just have some ungodly um, patterns of relating to other people, and we just know we need transformation. So I'm sending myself to time out in the wilderness, you know? And then I think Lent is a little bit like number two. Um, an optional wilderness for believers who know what's good for them. I feel like we should somehow trademark that line, right? Optional wilderness for believers who know what's good for them. That's what Lent is. 
Um, for believers who know, it's, it's actually good to put ourselves in desolation sometimes. And then number three is when we're driven to desolate places by our circumstances. And I think number three is the hardest to accept because um, it feels like we don't have any say about it at all, right? We don't get to choose there, to go there because it's our good idea. We don't go there out of choosing obedience to God because we sense him leading us. No, we're there because we're forced there, usually, because it's other stuff other people did. And I don't know about you, but like I throw a temper tantrum a lot of times when it's number three. It, it doesn't feel fair, and it's easy for me to spend a lot of time um, just complaining and resisting the reality of the wilderness. Maybe a little bit like, you know, if the Israelites, when they, when they came out of Egypt and they were complaining a lot, God saved them from slavery, but they were in the, the wilderness, right? And then they just complained and threw temper tantrum after temper tantrum. Um, that's my inclination. I'm not proud of it. I'm still learning. Um, but what I hope that you'll take away from this this morning is that uh, desolate places are worth embracing, rather than fighting against, and that there is really a work that God wants to do in us in desolate places, whether you're humbled by circumstance or whether you chose to choose to go there because you think it's a good idea or you think God is leading you there. Because it's God in the desolate places where I think his strength in our lives and I think his glory is made more manifest to us. And manifest is just a fancy word for more evident in our lives, more um, uh, more clear because other things get stripped away when we're in the desert and we find ourselves dependent on him and looking at him. Um, I told you guys I did that three-day water fast in January and I would say it was kind of a number three because my a number three fast of feeling forced into it because my doctor was like I think this is like the last like dramatic thing you could do to like cause some healing in your digestive system and you just, you really should do this. And I just, I didn't want to, but I, I did it. And um, as I was saying, it was very emotional for me and it felt very spiritual because I just was so weak and I was so tired. And, you know, I was being super melodramatic probably, but I literally had thoughts in my head that were like, this is what death feels like. You know, this is, this is what it feels like. But that experience of physical weakness, it just really awakened my own awareness of my, my spiritual and soul um, dependence as well on God. There's something about being physically weak that just reminds me, I need God, you know? I really need him. And so some prayers just really began to flow out of me that week as I was like laying, or not that week, but those days, as I was like laying in the basement on my futon and like crying and praying. And one of those prayers that just flowed out of me is something I've just been talking to God a little bit here and there about for a while, but I have been working really diligently to try to get out of student debt and out of medical debt. And, you know, I'm a big believer in being responsible and being um, careful with money and doing what we can to get out of debt as soon as we can. So I've been working proactively at getting rid of some of those things. But one of my prayers was, God, this is hard and it feels like it's taking a long time. And could you just miraculously provide money that we need to like make this happen faster and, and go away, you know, just so this, this debt would be gone. And um, I, I don't even, it's so weird to explain, but on day three of my water fast, 
I got an email from someone saying that I was going to receive $1,500 in a medical grant for pastors that I could use for medical debt. And then within four days, someone showed up at my house who had known sort of like what I've been going through with some medical things with a check for $2,000. And so within four days, it was $3,500 to go toward medical stuff, and it covered all of the debt that we had in medical stuff. But I will tell you that the timing of it was so impeccable. It was because I was looking to God that week in a desolate place, and my eyes were so open to how like my own limitations and my own ability to like control my life and my circumstances. And I was really just looking at him. And so there was no doubt in my mind that it was him showing up, that he was moving. Um, And I was able to appreciate and celebrate his faithfulness in that moment in a way that maybe I wouldn't have so much. Maybe it wouldn't have felt so profound if I hadn't been so aware of my own dependence on him. I might have been just like, well, that's cool, you know. But no, I knew like the the weakness that I'd felt and the tears that I had prayed in a desolate place or the, the prayers that I'd prayed in a desolate place. So that is why I encourage you guys to embrace the wilderness so that you can see more clearly who God is and so that he can begin to shape you more into the person he's already shaping you into and do the work in you that he wants to do. So I wonder if you could just take stock of where you are this morning. Are you in a desolate place? If so, how did you get there? Were you forced there? Did you go on purpose? Uh, Are you embracing God's nearness in this place? Or are you fighting against being in this situation? And if you're like, um, I don't relate to this at all. I'm not in a desolate place. I can't even think of the last time I felt like I was in a desolate place. Then I would encourage you to go there on my own recommendation that this might be a good thing for you. And, and observe Lent this year. You might be the person that the Lenten season is perfectly appropriate for right now in this year. And so I would encourage you, starting Wednesday, whatever it is, whatever feels particular to you, pray about it. Um, there are probably some comforts. There's probably some things that you turn to in your life that um, you don't need to turn to as much. And God would just say, hey, you know what? Feel a little uncomfortable in that place, and I will meet you. Turn to me, and I will meet you. I know for me it's going to have to do with social media for sure. And I'm like, seriously, I don't know if I can get through 40 days without looking at Instagram or Facebook. I don't know if I can. And I find myself, I'm trying to plan it because Ash Wednesday is this Wednesday. And I'm like making these bargains with myself. Like maybe I could do this much time a day instead of just all of it. You know, like um, it's hard. So um, I invite you to follow Jesus into the wilderness and and, uh, see what he does in your life as we prepare for Easter, as we prepare to celebrate his resurrection from the dead. And, and I, I also just believe if you'll do that, I think you will experience resurrection life inside of you. Maybe there have been some places where you've just been stuck for a really long time. And I really think that as a community, we will experience that resurrection life in our own lives, in our own relationships, okay? All right, we are gonna take communion together today and um, just remember and acknowledge that this this juice over here, these crackers, they represent the blood of Christ shed for us on the cross, the body of Christ 
broken for us on the cross. Um, it was Jesus who received the sin sinned against him to cover forgiveness for the entire world. So um, let's just come to him hungry and humble this morning as we take communion together. And will you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you so much for his sacrifice, um, that you, you stretched out your arms on the cross, Lord, so that everyone could come within the reach of your saving embrace. And we thank you for your kingdom that is built upon your love and your suffering for us. And Father, I pray for us as we go into Lent too, that that you would give us courage to enter desolate places voluntarily, um, to fast from things. Um, Lord, that you would also give us courage to be and relax ourselves into the desolate places we might be in by circumstance. Strengthen our hearts, Lord. I pray that um, as we enter and as we're in those seasons, that we would experience um, your provision, your ministry to us, um, your voice in a clearer way than we've heard it in a long time. Lord, I pray that um, just roadblocks that have been in our hearts or like hard places of our hearts would soften during this season of Lent. We invite you to come and just work your resurrection life in us. In your name, amen. Thank you so much for listening today. If you'd like more information about our City Church community, go online to www.iowacity.church.